service so far. I appreciate your willingness to serve in these ways. As you can see, a, a handout's coming around, so we'll be working off a handout this evening. Um, and as that comes around, I'd like to just share my appreciation for each and every one of you, uh, certainly for your support of the Reed family just in this time um, of loss, but also I, I'd like to just say a, a special thanks to the support that you showed to me this week. I received many text messages, just words of encouragement as well from many of you, and even after this morning, um, appreciate your words of encouragement both to Jen and I uh, as you left this morning. It means, means a lot, and I... I especially was thinking about this week, um, I don't think it's say it enough, but I appreciate you all as a congregation accepting me, uh, being born into this church, uh, growing up through this church, and your willingness to allow me to serve here. I, it really means a lot. I enjoy it so much, and I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity I do have to serve here. And, and I was saying, I was especially thinking of this week, Lord willing, I'll be being ordained in April at annual conference, and I had to had to fill out uh, a biography, and the common theme through my bi biography was just the support, the, the training up that the Lebanon has, church has had in my life, and, and that's been my testimony. You guys really uh, just taking me under your wing and, and training me up and even allowing me to serve here, so thank you for that, and uh, I really, really appreciate it and have really enjoyed it, so thank you for your encouragement. We'll move to our, our sermon for, or our message for this evening, and we'll be taking a look at 2 Kings chapter 1, and I'd like to begin by saying that something I think many of us like to do, but I really don't know how helpful it is, maybe it's actually counterproductive, is to contemplate the what-ifs of life, the what-ifs of life. I'll give you an example, me and my brothers in high school were on a relay team together. We ran the 4 by 800 meter relay, which meant that we each took, we each raced two laps around uh, the track against other, other teams, and we'd pass off the baton to each other, which was a neat experience for us as brothers to be able to run together. Uh, my senior year specifically we, was when we all were together on this team, and, and we made it to the state championship meet. And really, uh, as we consider it, we had the capability, we had the time and the ability to be able to actually place at states, but when it came to the state meet, uh, things didn't go quite our way. So often when we get together, me, Jordan, and Jesse, we talk about the what-ifs. Um, what if we would have run a different order? Or what if we would have gotten a better start? What if one of us would have run a little bit faster? And as I said, this, this often isn't really helpful. Uh, it, it actually, I think, considering the what-ifs sometimes allow, makes us kind of stay in the negative, think about the bad things that have taken place in our life. And so, too, if you think about your life, maybe one of the biggest what-ifs that you ask is concerning an unbelieving friend or family member in your life, especially uh, someone close to you. You might ask, what if this happened? Would they come to know the Lord? Or what if this happened? Would they place their faith in God. And this evening we're going to consider a character that Elijah the prophet interacts with and actually confronts. And we see that this character has all of the what ifs going for him as we specifically think about his faith in God. So, just as a slight review, um, 
as we've considered the life of Elijah, we specifically have seen one of the main things, at least from the account of Scripture, that Elijah does in his ministry is he confronts kings. He confronts kings, which certainly is a, is a pretty hard task. And specifically, we've seen so far in our study of uh, Elijah that Elijah has confronted Ahab. Think about 1 Kings 17, the very first story that we get of Elijah. He's confronting Ahab and declaring a drought. In 1 Kings 18, he confronts Ahab, calling him to bring his prophets up to Mount Carmel for a competition. And then lastly, as we actually saw last Sunday morning in 1 Kings 21, yet again we see Elijah confronting Ahab and specifically his sin against Naboth. So we see this as a theme, and we're going to see that this continues in 2 Kings chapter 1, though with a different king. So he's confronted Ahab. Now he actually comes to Ahab's son, Ahaziah. So Roman numeral number one, introduction to Ahaziah, who was, who was Ahaziah. So first, as I said, the last king that we saw Elijah uh, interact with was King Ahab. Ahab actually repented, but I said last Sunday morning that we saw that repentance or that humbling was very short-lived uh, as Ahab turned back to his old ways. And we see uh, the last account we have of Ahab is actually him being killed in battle. So 1 Kings 22, which you have on your handout, says uh, in verses 37 through 40, which records Ahab in his death, it says this, So the king died and he was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. But the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, and the ivory house that he built, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So King Ahab... Um, certainly an enemy of Elijah's. They both didn't care for each other. He's off the scene. Well, as we see right there at the tail end of that passage, now a new king arises, and it's Ahab's son, Ahaziah. And this is how the book of 1 Kings characterizes him in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 51 through 53. It says that Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in all of the ways of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. So we see that this, this character who we're going to be focusing on in 2 Kings chapter 1, um, he came from a, a pretty bad family and we see the negative influences that his parents had on him, as it says that he walked in the way of his father and his mother. So we see again, Elijah is going to be confronting a wicked king. Elijah doesn't get the pleasure of dealing with a godly king, but he's dealing with these wicked, maybe some of the worst kings in the land of Israel. And as we began with, we see Ahaziah has all of the what-ifs that we might usually question of an unbeliever. What if this happened? Would they finally turn to the Lord? So that leads to our theme for this evening, which is this. The Lord uses Elijah to offer Ahaziah many opportunities to turn to the Lord, but he continually refuses. 
And the question we're going to be considering almost for our whole entire passage till we get to the very end is what were these opportunities? What took place in Ahaziah's life? And actually, we're going to see almost all just one account. What took place in his life that we might say uh, or call it a what if? Will Ahaziah turn to the Lord if this happens? So we're going to mention the many opportunities. Number one, Ahaziah has a new enemy. As it says in verse 1 of 2 Kings 1, after the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. So 2 Kings chapter 1 opens to the life of King Ahaziah. And as I was studying this, I almost just skipped verse 1 and moved on. But as I considered it, you think about the presence of danger, difficulty coming to this man uh, who was over and was supposed to protect a land. That could certainly cause him to start looking for help. So we might question off of verse 1, would Ahaziah turn to the Lord for help? Would he look to the Lord to rise up against Moab? Would Ahaziah look to the Lord for direction on what to do next? But we see no such turning to the Lord as mentioned. Number two, Ahaziah gets seriously injured, as it says in 2 Kings 1-2. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria, and he lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go, inquire of Belzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. So the next opportunity is, is after Moab comes up against Ahaziah. All right, they are a threat, but we see something on top of this, and we're kind of zoomed into the life of Ahaziah, and we're told of an accident that takes place in which he falls off the, out of maybe one of the upper rooms of his house or off the roof of his house. Specifically, the lattice quite possibly is speaking of some type of netting or decoration in a window that he's fallen out of. And we see the result is that he falls sick. We're just told he lays sick. And, and really, this word sick is pretty generic. So we don't know if he was paralyzed or somehow he contracted some other disease. But, but really, the, the main thing we need to know is that this result took place. Ahaziah is laying in bed when the rest of this story takes place. So you can keep that in your mind. But as you consider this sickness, for sure, um, this would show Ahaziah of his weakness. He's the king of Israel, and he's stuck in bed. He can't do much, and he's in need of healing. And again, we might consider this an opportunity, and we might question, would Ahaziah turn to the Lord for healing? And I think Ahaziah's response shows us a lot about this king and where his true allegiances lie as we see he sends his men to inquire of what will ultimately happen to him. Again, if you look with me at verse 2, he says, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. So yes, this laying in bed, him stuck in bed with either being paralyzed or some type of sickness, Ahaziah realizes his need. He realizes he's a man in need of help, and he's weak. But consider who he looks to. It's not God. As it says again in verse 2, at the tail end of it, it says, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. So Ahaziah is relying upon not the god of Israel, not Elijah's god. He doesn't go to Elijah, but he goes to another god. He looks specifically to the god of the Philistines, as Ekron is one of the cities of the Philistines, a god of another land. Who exactly this God is, uh, it's not quite sure who he was. Um, certainly the first name Baal, we know from the Old Testament, a idol. So certainly a connection with that. But 
We simply need to know that this is an idol who Ahaziah is looking to. So Ahaziah falls and seriously injures himself. We would have thought for sure this would bring repentance and a turning to God. We even see that he realizes his need but refuses to turn to God. Instead, he turns to an idol in which we know cannot help him at all. It's not that he does not realize his need, but he refuses to specifically turn to God. He even goes to great lengths. If you consider, again, he tells them to go to the God of Ekron. Ekron is in a city in Israel. They would have had to travel miles away for this. So Ahaziah is willing to go to great lengths to go after something other than God. Number three, so the third opportunity he gets to turn to the Lord. Ahaziah is confronted by a prophet of the Lord, and even more so the word of God, as it says in verses three through six. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up. But you shall surely die. So Elijah went. And then in verse 5 it says, The messengers returned to the king, and he said to them, Why have you returned? And they said to him, There came a man to meet us, and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you, and say to him, Thus says the Lord. So again, we might think that surely Ahaziah will turn to the Lord if God goes to him. Ahaziah won't have to search God out. He won't have to find him. God will come to him through his prophet Elijah. But we see, again, Ahaziah does not, even, does not turn to the Lord even though God sends his prophet to his men. Go to number four. Ahaziah is told what he had done wrong, as it says in verse six. And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord. And then here's, the, here's him being confronted with the wrong. It says, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? So again, we might have thought, what if Ahaziah was told what he had done wrong? What if he didn't know? What if he thought this was the true God? What if he was confronted with this sin? What if he was confronted with the fact that he was breaking the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. Yet again, Ahaziah does not turn. Number five, Ahaziah is threatened with death. As it says in the underlined portion of verse six, right there at the end, it says, therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. We might think if Ahaziah is threatened with death, surely he will turn to the Lord. Surely he will plead and he'll beg for his life that God would spare him. The messengers relay the message from Elijah that his result will surely be death, and we see that Ahaziah does not turn. We might wonder, does he not believe the message and think he'll live, or is he so unwilling to turn to God that he would, would rather die than turn to God? Six, the sixth opportunity that Ahaziah gets is Ahaziah is aware of God's prior work done through Elijah, as it says in 2 Kings 1, 7 through 8. And he said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah, the Tishbite. Pause for a moment and just remember 
Ahaziah, he's laying in his bed right now. He isn't the one that Elijah went up to and confronted. He sent out men to go after this idol. Elijah meets them, probably not even halfway, as the king realizes it was very quick for them to return. And he sends this message, and they come back to him, and they relay him, and he says, you know what, what did this guy look like? And they describe him, they describe his appearance, what he was wearing in specific. And Ahaziah knows that it was Elijah. He knows who Elijah was. So I would argue Ahaziah knows what Elijah had done and specifically how Elijah had interacted with Ahaziah's father, Ahab. So surely Ahaziah knows of the drought that was brought so that God could bring judgment on Ahab's kingdom for their disobedience. Surely he knows of the competition on Mount Carmel in which God provided fire from heaven. Surely he would know of Ahab's life being spared by God due to his repentance. Ahaziah, I would argue, and I think we can see this from this passage, in him knowing Elijah, he was aware of God. He was aware of the glory of God, the power that God had shown to his father, and how he judged his father. Ahaziah is refusing in light of obvious facts that God was the only God. Ahaziah was an arrogant, a stubborn, and foolish man for not turning to the Lord with what he had known or what he knows from the past. The seventh opportunity we get is Ahaziah's men get blasted with heavenly fire. As it says in 2 Kings 1, 9 through 10, then the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50 and went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill. And he said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, if I am of a if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you in your 50. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him in his 50. So Ahaziah, again, he can't go to Elijah himself, so he sends these men. And they get blasted. They get consumed with fire. And yet Ahaziah does not turn to the Lord. As we see in the next section, he sends a second group. But before we look at that, that next group, Consider what's, what's going on here. The Lord's sending fire down from heaven to consume his men. If we think about when did this happen before, I've already mentioned it. On the top of Mount Carmel with Ahaziah's father, which I believe Ahaziah would have been aware of. And in 1 Kings 18.24, you don't have this on your handout, but it says this. And this is Elijah speaking to Ahab. He says, and you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So God sending fire down and consuming Ahaziah's men should have been enough proof for Ahaziah to turn to the Lord, enough evidence that this was God. Yet we see Ahaziah does not turn as we see in number eight, Ahaziah's men get blasted with heavenly fire, a second time, as it says in verses 11 through 12. Again, the king sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you in your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And yet again, Ahaziah does not turn, even though he, was, he has now lost 102 men to Elijah in the Lord's fire. 
As we see, he sends another group of 51 men in verse 13. But before we move on to these, this third group, I want to answer for us a few, I'd say, interesting questions, a few questions that might arise in your mind. The first one you have on uh, your sheet is, why is Ahaziah sending these men? You might think, why is he sending these guys? What's his purpose? We see Ahaziah, as we have seen, is continually refusing to turn to the Lord, though he knows who God is from the past, but now from his present experiences as well. Here, by sending the men, he is showing his refusal yet again. But on top of this, we see that these men that Ahaziah is sending are not just a group of messengers. Ahaziah is not just sending, and sending these men and saying, go pick up Elijah and bring him back so that he can deliver to me the word. That's not what, they're, that's not what he's doing here. One messenger would have sufficed for that. Ahaziah is seeking to take Elijah in and stop the word of the Lord. He sends a whole group of men, a captain, a military captain, probably with their weapons ready to go to take Elijah by force. It's not just a messenger that he's sending. He's seeking to stop Elijah and God's word. Ahaziah is not seeking to hear more from the Lord, but he wants to shut down the word of the Lord through shutting down Elijah. And even if we consider Elijah's past and we think about Jezebel and the way in which she shut down Elijah for a time period when she threatened him to death, that knocked Elijah off course for, for several weeks in which Elijah lay depressed till the Lord rescued him. But we see here Ahaziah sends his men armed to take Elijah by force. So Ahaziah sending 51 men ultimately three times shows his refusal of the Lord yet again. Second question I want to answer. We're, we're thinking about the life of Elijah, and, and you might look at this passage and think it teaches us some things about his character. Is he an angry man that he would send down fire? Does he not care about people? So is Elijah's response wrong? I'd like you again to consider Ahaz, Ahaziah's seeking to shut down Elijah by taking him by force. I would say Elijah's response is one to combat it. He's defending himself. These guys are coming up with their weapons. This is a captain coming to take Elijah by force. He's seeking to protect himself. But even more so, and I think this is the important thing to realize here, that in Elijah sending fire down to consume these men, this is even more so an action of God. This isn't just Elijah. Elijah doesn't have the power to throw fire down from heaven. We saw that this is only an action that God could do. So in Elijah calling down fire from heaven, this is fire that God has provided. And certainly if God disagreed, if he thought that this was unjust to wipe out these men with fire, he wouldn't have killed them. God was not under Elijah's authority. So we see that this is something that God chose to do as well. So God is seeking to protect his prophet. They are coming with their military, so God will defend his prophet. The last question I want to answer, and maybe this struck you uh, when we were reading through the, the, the last two points. This is actually something in which James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, sought to do as well. So we might ask, why couldn't James and John do it then if Elijah was allowed? So I actually put on uh, this passage, and I'd like us to read it through and consider if these are the same experience. So Luke 9, 51 through 56 says this. 
When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he, sent his, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So this is talking about Jesus. In verse 52 it says, And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And then verse, verse 54 says this, And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them. And they went on to another village. So I believe that James and John had in mind what they knew from the Old Testament, these stories of Elijah calling down fire from heaven. I think they had that in mind here, and that's why they wanted to... to um, call down fire from heaven to consume those that rejected Jesus. I believe we have two different situations or two different scenarios here with James and John and with Elijah. Ahaziah was seeking to capture and to shut down the prophet of the Lord and these Samaritans with James and John, though it's wrong, they are rejecting Jesus. They're not coming at him in this uh, military way. Even Elijah, Elijah even seems to be seeking to provide proof for God, while James and John seem to be seeking vengeance on this city. Even further, Jesus had already taught his disciples. So we won't go there this evening, but Jesus had already taught the disciples, if people reject me, if people reject you, what should you do? And he told them, shake off the dust of their feet and move on. So they were not following the will of God by wanting to cast down fire to consume those that rejected Jesus. While I would say that Elijah was in line with the will of God, as we see that God sends down fire from heaven. So I think we have two different situations here. Um, maybe different motives, but also we see that Elijah, he was following the will of God, while James and John were not. So Elijah was not in the wrong, nor just lashing out in anger here. This situation is not a negative portrayal of Elijah. So this is a passage, as I studied, a lot of people have a dif dif difficulty with it, um, reconciling it. Some people just believe it's made up, it's just stuck in there, um, or it shouldn't be in there, but I, I think we can reconcile it with uh, the Word of God. So we'll move on to a, yet another opportunity for Ahaziah to turn to the Lord. And though Ahaziah sends a third group, so he sent two, now he sends a third. He still doesn't get it. He sends a third to take Elijah, and this time his opportunity to turn to the Lord is different, as these men are not consumed with fire. As number nine says, Ahaziah has provided an example of what he should do. So pay close attention to this third group and how they respond to Elijah. 2 Kings 1, 13 through 14, it says, Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty, and the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the two formal captains of fifty men and their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. So this captain of fifty responds very different than the other two. And, and as you're reading through this story, it might be easy just to move on and say, okay, he's, he, he doesn't want to die. But I think we see something even more here 
in that he gets what Elijah's doing. All right? He actually calls them servants of Elijah. And I think that this captain, in begging for his life, seeing what took place with the other two captains, he realized what his fate would be. But I think even more so we can see that he should, should have been an example to his king. Certainly his king would have seen this captain either coming back with Elijah, following Elijah, or when Elijah, was, when Elijah does go to Ahaziah, this captain may have fled for his life, um, but this should have been an example to Ahaziah. This captain displays exactly how Ahaziah should have responded to the Lord when he received his death threat. And not only are we presented with a picture of what Ahaziah should have done, but as I said, Ahaziah should have learned from this man's example. We'll go to the 10th, and we'll go to the last opportunity. As it says, Ahaziah has a prophet come to him personally. 2 Kings 1, 15-16, Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with the king, to the king and said to him, Thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So I said actually earlier that uh, this captain, maybe he fled, but we do see here, sorry about that, that he, Elijah, it says that, so he arose and went down with him to the king. So this captain does go back. We don't know exactly what went down there, but we do see Elijah, he goes to the king personally now. The first time he goes to the messengers, but now we see that he goes to the king personally. And remember, the king wanted Elijah to come to him on his demands and ultimately to lock Elijah up or to kill him. We see Elijah does come to the king, but it's not because of the king. It's the Lord who commanded Elijah to go. The king would have seen Elijah coming with his men following him. Elijah coming with the men. The king would have seen that Elijah was not under his authority. Elijah was not coming because of his orders. Elijah came to him personally and delivered the message of judgment against the king, again declaring his wrong doing, and not only turning to the Lord, but also worshiping another god. So we've seen in these ten opportunities, I'll call them, and have called them, that Ahaziah has received opportunity after opportunity to turn to the Lord and repent and trust in him. From Moab attacking to him getting a serious injury, to fire coming down from heaven, and now Elijah face-to-face -face with Ahaziah confronting him. Yet we see Ahaziah's ending. If you look with me at 11, this is how the passage closes. We see Ahaziah refuses after all of this to turn to the Lord, as it says in verses 17 through 18. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So as we consider this passage, it might seem a little bit, if you want to call it redundant. Right? It's, it repeats over and over again these opportunities that he had, and we see over and over again that Ahaziah did not turn to the Lord. And that 
might have kind of gotten a little old. But I think we can learn a very, very important lesson from this. And that's number one. Ahaziah teaches us a sad but true lesson concerning the depravity of man. And when I say depravity, it's a more difficult word. I simply am, when I say depravity, I'm simply speaking of how man, how man and woman are fully and totally corrupted by sin. Fully and totally corrupted by sin. All human beings are lost and hopeless. All humans rebel against God and do not desire to serve Him. Ahaziah gets chance after chance. He has all of the what-ifs going for him. You would have thought these things would have been enough to change his heart, but yet he refuses to serve God and worship Him. And he even goes so far as to rely upon and serve other gods. As verses 3, 6, and 19 said, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? But we see the New Testament affirms this. It affirms this depravity, this sinfulness of man. It's not just something that the, the Old Testament is talking about, but the New Testament makes it very clear. Look with me at Romans 1, 18 through 23. Pastor preached this probably a couple years ago now in his study of the book of Romans, but very applicable for our passage. It says this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then it says this, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. I think we would agree that Ahaziah, things were made very plain, very clear to him. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark, and claiming to be wise, they became fools. And then we see this in Ahaziah, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. He's talking about idols there, right there at the end. And we see that's Ahaziah. We see this live down Ahaziah's life. Romans 3, 10 through 11 makes this quite clear as it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So left to ourselves, we don't seek God. And we saw that from Ahaziah very clearly. And then Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament affirm the nature of all men and women ever born, that each and every one is born a sinner. And certainly we know that the only human to be born without sin is Jesus Christ. But all, all other humans are born sinners. And they cannot choose God or even they do not even desire to turn to Him. But the good thing, the thing that we don't necessarily see in our passage from 2 Kings 1, but what the New Testament talks about 
uh, we see in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, and 8 through 9, that God doesn't leave us to ourselves. Left to ourselves, we would be Ahaziah, never turning to the Lord. But Ephesians says this in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And then verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then this is important. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's only when God intervenes in our lives and changes our hearts and produces this faith in us that we can turn to Him. I think Ahaziah shows very clearly what happens when men and women are left to themselves. They continually and constantly refuse to turn to the Lord, no matter how clear their need for God is made. Ahaziah's life should cause us to give God the glory in our own lives, realizing the salvation that we have from Him. It was nothing within us left to ourselves. We would be Ahaziah. Number two, Ahaziah failed to turn to God. He failed to look to God in his time of need. If we consider this for ourselves, how often do we fail to trust in God each and every day? So it teaches, Ahaziah teaches us something about our, our past condition or unbelievers' condition. But I think he also, we can also learn lessons for our lives right now as believers. He didn't trust God, and I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I fail to trust God on a daily basis with, with minor things, simple things. How often do we live as if God is non-existent or insufficient to help us through our days? And then three, Ahaziah not only didn't turn to God, but he turned to something else. He turned to Beelzebub. How often do we trust in other things to take care of our problems? We look to ourselves or we look to other people or we look to things rather than God. What is your Beelzebub? So that's Ahaziah's life. And I'd like us just to close this evening by considering a few lessons from Elijah. Number one, Elijah's restoration continues as he serves the Lord. Notice first the danger Elijah was in. 2 Kings 1.15 says, Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. Do not be afraid of him. And we've looked at Elijah's life. If you've been here while I've preached, and God telling Elijah not to fear, realizing the dangerous situation that he was in. Think back to Jezebel. Jezebel threatened Elijah to death. And we see that Elijah here, he responds with not fearing. When back with Jezebel, he ran for his life in fear. So ultimately, as we see in number two, Elijah learns from his past and grows, as it says in verses 15 through 16. So he arose, and he went down with him to the king. So he goes for this danger head on. He trusts God. He looks to the word of God for direction. So I would say we see a real growth in the life of Elijah. As we think about his life as a whole, we see a growth within this prophet's life. He learns from past experiences and responses and responds in a completely different way. In the face of danger and possible in a possible death sentence, Elijah looks to the word of God for direction and listens and walks right into possible danger. 
trusting in his God instead of fleeing for his life. And I think this should be a lesson for us not to give up on other people. Elijah, if we would have known Elijah at that time and saw him depressed, it would have been easy for, him, for us to give up on him, to say he's never going to recover. But this passage shows us that Elijah's learned. He's changed. He's matured in his faith. And we see really a new man from 1 Kings 19. And then secondly, one last lesson to be learned from the life of Elijah. And this lesson could be mentioned concerning many of the chapters that we find in the life of Elijah or really any study of the character's life in the scriptures. The lesson that we learn is that often the lessons and the focus will be more on God and his interactions with people than on the character themselves. I'm going to be honest. Um, when I decided to start studying Elijah's life, I thought I was going to be learning about Elijah's personality and, and learning specific truths from his life uh, personally. And certainly, as we just saw, there's things that we can learn from Elijah and, and viewing his life as an example. But as I've studied, and, and I hope to, to preach at least one more sermon on uh, the last passage Elijah's mentioned in, but as I thought about his life, more often than not, and even as we saw tonight with Ahaziah, often the focus is on God and what he's doing in Elijah's life or people's lives. And I think we learn a very important lesson from Elijah that often our Christian life isn't going to be in the spotlight. Or if, it, if we're doing it right, we shouldn't be in the spotlight. But as Elijah was in the background, as he faithfully served God, not bringing attention to him, often the attention and the focus was on God and not Elijah. And I think that's a very important lesson that as I said, we can learn that from Elijah, but I think we really could learn that from a lot of characters' lives in the Scriptures. So 2 Kings 1 provides great lessons uh, for us. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, I just thank you for <clears throat> the opportunity we have to be able to come out here this evening and just worship you freely. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in this country and, and for allowing us to be able to worship by song, through prayer, through the giving of our tithes and offerings, and through the preaching of your word. And Lord, I thank you for uh, just your word, for giving it to us. And Lord, I, I pray especially, we think about Ahaziah, and he had your word. Elijah gave it to him and, and communicated your message. But Lord, we realize that it's only when you intervene in our lives and change our hearts and transform our hearts and allow us to have faith that we can be saved. And without that intervention, Lord, left to ourselves, we are dead in our trespasses. We are hopeless and we are helpless. And Lord, our destination would be hell. So Lord, we thank you and, and we praise you for the salvation that we enjoy only by your work. And Lord, we give you all the praise and the honor. And Lord, I pray also that Elijah would be a testimony to us of how you change hearts. And even Christians who struggle and maybe stray Lord, you can bring them back as we see with Elijah. And Lord, there's, there's many lessons to be learned from this passage this evening and help us to take some of these truths into our week this week. And in your name I pray, amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.